So up on the screen, you can actually see uh, a phrase that comes out from the Reformation. As the Bible alone declares people are saved by Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, for God's glory alone. And I think you've already looked at two. Oh, yeah, so, and I'm doing the one in red now, grace alone. And I guess in some ways when you do these uh, topics, it's like um, you'll see the same thing over and over again because they're also in interconnected and related. It's almost hard to go, this is exactly how it's different from everything else. But hopefully uh, you will bear with me and we'll get there. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you for the topic we're doing today, grace alone. And we do thank you that it is by grace that we're saved. And we pray that even though we may have heard this a hundred times, Lord, and that we hear it so regularly that Jesus died for us, that even today we still might find great joy in knowing what Jesus has done for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Sorry. Okay. Calvin, he, he said something like, like this. There are two parts to uh, grace, and he said there's justification and sanctification. And justification is the reconciliation or relationship that we have with God Almighty, and sanctification is the regeneration, repentance, or a Christian response to that. So he said there was two, two folds to grace alone. The historical setting for Calvin was something like this. The Catholic Church taught that one could be justified through indulgences. That was by putting money in a, a, a tin sort of thing and you could buy uh, people's souls from purgatory by putting money in a tin or you could save yourself by doing stuff like that. And the other thing they taught was good works contribute to a man's salvation. So Calvin is actually saying in his response to this, he's saying, no, grace, grace alone, nothing else saves a person, not what they do, not what they're, they're about. Okay, so that's, what, that's the response. So it's a bit like uh, Calvin also said that he taught once a believer understands he is chosen by Christ to eternal life, he will never have to suffer doubt again about salvation. He'll obtain an unwavering hope of final perseverance if he reckons himself a member of him who is beyond hazard of falling away. So the fact that Jesus couldn't fall away means that we won't fall away because he's going to save us by his grace. And so we are like the Energizer battery. We will keep going, we will keep going by the grace of God if grace is real. And that's what Calvin was sort of uh, teaching of course, there are a lot of things that people have done, a lot of work on what he's done, but I'm just giving you an idea of where it comes in and why we even think about grace alone. Uh, Calvin, so he said, if you're justified and sanctified by the works of Christ, then he's saying God does this. He predestines, he calls, he regenerates, he justifies, he sanctifies. That's what God does. Now, there are a lot of big terms, and I haven't got time to go through all those terms, so you'll appreciate that I'm not going to do that. I'm going to really concentrate on grace alone, and much of it you will already know. But I hope still that Jesus will inspire your hearts. Um, so, so that's what Calvin 
was really teaching. Now, that's very small, I know. I'm going to read out the, the red bits, okay? So I've highlighted the red bits in a Bible passage that I want to talk about that you'll meet. So when I think of grace, there are two big passages that come to mind, and these are the two big passages, Ephesians 1 to 10 and Romans 8, 1 to 4, and I'll read it out just so you get a picture of it. Uh, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And Romans 1, 1, 8, 1 to 4 says, For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. Now both texts clearly say that salvation is an unmerited gift. That is, it's not deserved. Ephesians 2.9 says, if no one can boast, and then Romans 8.3 says, and our flesh cannot meet the law's demands, then people have failed on every single level. However, if you look at the first verse, he says there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So if our flesh can't meet the law's requirements and we can't boast, then how is it that we can have no condemnation if we're in Christ Jesus? And if that's the case, it must mean that grace is one big, huge gift. It's got to be a gift. There's nothing else that it can be because in terms of our humanness, we've got nothing to actually help us. If it's a great gift, then that's got to be a great comfort and security to us. Why would it be a great comfort and security? Because we are not relying on ourselves. If I had to rely on myself to get myself into heaven, I'm history because I fail at every level. And so because I'm not relying on myself, I can have great confidence and security in somebody else. And that, of course, is Jesus Grace, the way I like to see it, is something like this. Grace, for me, is God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace is receiving all the benefits of what Jesus Christ has achieved on my behalf. Now, I have two points that I want to cover under this. I'm going to cover uh, two points, God's riches and Christ's expense. So that's the way I'm going to attack this uh, passage or this issue now the first riches we see in the Ephesians passage I'm sorry it's so small I should have blown it up is uh, the fact in verse 2-4 it says that God's great love for us that's the riches that God has a great love for us God's heart desire moved him to act on our behalf and the act of God enables him then to show the, great, the second great riches that we have is his mercy. So because God uh, had a great compelling act of love for us to save us, he says, I need to have mercy on us. But he can't just have mercy on us without doing some other things. And he has to do that. So his activity is to, once that's fulfilled, he can show mercy to us. Now, mercy, that word mercy is a word that actually expresses something like this. It is going beyond your duty. It's not just doing a duty. You know, you can just do things because you have to do them. Well, God, 
in his mercy says, I'm going far out of my way, above my duty as the creator of the universe. Originally, human, humanity rebelled against God. They, they chose to disobey him. He says, I'm going out of my duty now to do something to bring you back. And it's far and above beyond duty, mercy is. Through Christ's activity, mercy is extended. And in 2.5, it says that he made us alive. That's what he's doing. Now, notice mercy is extended when we were dead in our sin, slaves to our sin. In our, when we were slaves to sin, God said, I'm going to show mercy and I'm going to make you alive. And he said, you know, he came to you and said, whatever your name, live. That's what God did. He actually chose you to live while you're dead in your sin. See, we were unable to save ourselves because when you're dead, you can't do anything yourself. I know. I have a green thumb. No, I don't. I have a black thumb. Every time I touch a plant, it seems to die. And I tell you, once, once a plant is dead, doesn't matter what you do, you can't rejuvenate it. It is dead. When we're dead in our sins, we've got nothing to add to ourselves to make us all of a sudden come alive. But God, in his mercy, said, you live. And he did that for us. We deserve death, but in Christ we receive life. John 10.10 says that we have an abundance of life in Christ, a fullness of life. Well, the third riches seen in uh, God is his kindness. You'll notice there it says his kindness was expressed, uh, he expressed in his kindness to us in Christ. He expressed his kindness to us in Christ. So whatever, Jesus, whatever God is doing, what Christ is doing is the kindness of God. Now, kindness is very costly then, isn't it? This, this riches of God is his costly kindness toward us. You know, in the city, I've noticed seagulls. You ever notice seagulls have not one absolute little tiny wincy bit of kindness in them? Yeah, I'm serious. I watched them. One seagull will pick up a chip and it's like he's got something to eat. And all of a sudden there's 50 million around him fighting for that one chip. And what I notice is often the chip, no, well, no one gets it. It drops in the water or does something and sinks and, and no one gets it. There's not one bit of kindness in them. I went to the internet to look up and see what people would say about kindness and if they've got any offerings. You know what they said? This is what they said. Why don't you show kindness by giving a book to someone? This one's a bit better. Why not get to know a refugee? I like that. That's not too bad. Or why not be a secret admirer? What? This is kindness. Secret admirer. What's that going to do for the person? Terrorise them. <laughs> Why not tag someone? You know what tag means, don't you? You know, tag someone is you see their photo in someone else's photo on Facebook, so you tag and go, oh, I spotted you. Kindness? Yep, okay. Now, the list went on and on and on, and I thought it was all very trivial because most of it was saying, just do what you should do because you're human. You know, just do the normal thing. 
But God's kindness sent Jesus to be crucified. Now that's big, isn't it? And God's kindness... Oh, sorry, I've gone a bit slow, haven't I? So God's kindness is... is um, yeah, showing Jesus is crucified. So these are, the, these are the things that God has shown us. His great love, his great mercy, his great kindness. That's his riches. Now, kindness for me is a bit more like this rather than the trivial things we hear. And it's going to be a video. So I'm going to watch this video of one of our missionaries that went out when she was very young. She's come home now. But I want you to just see what motivated her at the beginning. Do I just press the button? I became a Christian when I was 12, so I'd been going to I became a Christian when I was 12, so I'd been going to church and Sunday school, but at 12 I became completely convinced and convicted that Jesus was real and that I wanted to follow him with all that I had. Um, but um, and so I did that through all of school, um, except my focus was just on my church and my friends. And so my biggest drama was probably um, not going to um, a youth group event in the same car as my friends. Um, it was at that time someone came and talked about um, the suffering church and um, it just blew me away to think that I was part of the worldwide church um, and I hadn't ever really thought about that before. Um, I went on a short-term mission and was really convicted and ended up spending two years in China at that time and was just blown away by the needs that people had and the opportunities that I'd had and taken for granted. So I came back to Australia to go to Bible college to go straight back to China and here I am eight years later about to go to Tanzania. Now for me Amy is so moved by God and the kindness that she's received that she can't help but to extend that kindness to others. So motivated, particularly because she's uh, got everything that you could ever want in Australia. She had the education. She had the Bible knowledge. She had everything. And then she goes to a church that's got nothing. Now, she ended up in Tanzania and doing teaching, or her husband did teaching in a, a Bible college. Amy has... Uh, come home recently and she's been diagnosed with cancer well she had cancer was on the field and everything she just kept driving and driving and driving and driving that's the type of God that we have his kindness was to see us in our mess and he says I can't let you stay in that mess I'm going to do something about it I'll send my son Amy was much the same I can't see the church I'm a part of the worldwide church and the church is struggling. I've got to go out there and help it. So that's what I think real kindness is about. And Jesus uh, is God showing his kindness by providing for us exactly and everything that we need to live in eternity. In our spiritual dead condition, and unable to do everything that God expects and demands from his creation... He ends up saying, well, you can't do it, so I'll provide everything that you need in the activity of Christ. Now, I have to ask this question before I move on. Why is it necessary for God to do this? Now, I'm going to use a little bit of an illustration a mate told me about once. You know, the human eyeball is pretty complex, isn't it? It's a wonderful organ, isn't it? What happens when you get a bit of dirt in your eyeball? You can't wait to get it out, can you? 
You will scratch, you will itch, you will do everything you possibly can to get it out of your eyeball. If you've got hands, dirty hands, it doesn't seem to matter. You can, you know, get your hands a bit dirty, you can eat a bit of bread, you'll do anything, you, you know, sometimes I don't, I mow the lawns and I eat without washing my hands. I get a bit of dirt in my eye, I'm trying to get it out straight away. Now God, God did what he did in Jesus because he is like, I know it's a bad illustration, but he's like the human eyeball. He, he can't tolerate wrong. He can't tolerate sin. And he's got to deal with the sin. And the sin is ever, for, we are born in it. And we are part of it. And he says, I've got to deal, I'm the human eyeball that can't, I've got to deal with that because if I don't deal with that, I can't have you in my place in heaven forever. I've got to deal with it. And he does deal with it in Jesus. See, we are granted a seat with Christ in the heavenlies, verse 6. All that Jesus is presently enjoying in eternity will be yours, will be mine. Now, grace is a lot bigger than that, isn't it? Uh, grace is bigger than God's love, mercy and kindness. They're, they're three jewels. But all of the grace of God is like a, a crown with many jewels in it, laden with sapphires, rubies, diamonds, love, mercy, joy, just three. We've got to add adoption, forgiveness, redemption, sanctification, justification, all these terms that you and I get just because Jesus came and did something for us. Now, to some in our world, these benefits are worthless. You, you rattle off these terms and people just go, so what? But for you and me who were dead in our sin, this grace of Jesus has become priceless. Makes you do crazy things, doesn't it? Like Amy, who will be determined to go to China. Like me and you, who will give up your finances to help support missionaries. When you know the grace of God, you will no longer live just for you yourself, will you? You will lay down your life of thanksgiving to Jesus and what he's done. You will not just live for yourself. My second thing is this, grace is uh, Christ's expense. Ephesians 2.2 2 says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and in sin. That is the very beginning place of every single person in this world. Every single person be begins being spiritually blind or spiritually dead. And that means they're living outside the boundaries that God designed us to live. In other words, we're like a fish that's out of the water. A fish on the footpath is not going to last long. It has its destiny. It has its results. It's not pleasant. Like a fish, we are helpless. But God sent his son who would live a real spiritual life, who would do everything that God purposed and wanted who would also then die and take the consequences of our sin. See, the fact that we're dead in our sins means that we deserve to be judged and condemned. In Jesus, the consequences are dealt with. So God's kindness was demonstrated to us by Jesus taking our punishment. 
Ephesians 2.5 says we were made alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. So still while we lived out of bounds, Christ was cursed for us for mankind's failures, punished for our imperfections. In Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. It is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. For what the law was powerless to do, it was weakened by flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Now this is what Jesus does for us. He actually gives us two things. The first is that he meets the law's demands. He was without sin, but we are sinners. And then the second thing he does is the innocent one is condemned. He was innocent, but he was cursed in our place and does what we deserve. So the expense of grace is Jesus being cursed and condemned in his innocence for us. And then Jesus can give to us, attributes to us, his perfect life. So his perfection is gifted to me. Now the benefits of perfection a perfected life means that you can now live with Jesus and do everything and be with him in everything. Jesus can give us freely the benefits that he has got because he has taken our place. Let me uh, give you a little illustration. I remember once at school when I was a very young person, there was a whole group of us, don't ever do this young people, right children, you're listening, don't ever do this. They were smoking and I was there smoking. Oh, no, I wasn't smoking. Sorry, children, you can do what I was doing. I wasn't smoking. I was just sitting there with a group of guys and the teacher came around. I don't think he liked me, this teacher. And he, he said, you, you were smoking. And I said, no, I, I, I wasn't smoking. I was the only one that wasn't smoking. No, I saw you smoking. You were smoking. And he took me and I got punished and all my mates got let, let go and they were the ones who were smoking. That's a trivial thing, but that's what Jesus is doing. He's letting us go because of all our sin and he's going to cop the punishment for that sin. He's going to do the time for our crime. You know, imagine this for a minute. Because I think it's really hard to get this concept that Jesus would do this and how much it cost him. Imagine if you're in court and you're guilty of doing some horrendous crime. You're really in court and getting, getting raked over the hot coals and then good old Bill Gates comes in. You know Bill Gates, one of those really wealthy men. And he says to the judge, he says, Don't, I will go to jail, I'll pay the fine for this guy who's done the wrong for you and me. And not only does he do that, he then says, okay, you can come out now, I'm going to the dock. The judge says, yes, we've got a, the sentence is fine. And then Bill says, here, here's my credit card, look after all my stuff. He's never going to do that. But imagine him doing something like, this is what Jesus has done for us. He's come into court, we're the guilty ones, he says, don't worry, I'll cop your punishment. And I tell you what, you can have everything that I've got. It's a wonderful thing that Jesus has done for us. As a result of what Jesus has done, this is what he did. This is what the Bible says. He condemns sin in the flesh. So Jesus condemns sin, fallen judgment 
on sin and flesh by becoming condemned himself for us. And then Romans 8.1, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. Imagine that. I can't keep the law. And yet because Jesus did, he says, you can have what I did. Everything that Jesus has done is for my benefit. And so since he's uh, graced this gift of grace upon us, we have his perfection. And so the next verse says, oh, sorry, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. That's what Romans 8 says, one. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So in other words, we gave Jesus the crown of thorns. He gave us the crown of life. And it's a total swap of lives, isn't it? That's what grace is. God's riches. All that he has. But it's Christ's expense. We receive all that Christ has because he took what we deserve. That cost him his all. So when Christians talk about grace, we cannot boast about it. That's what the Bible says. We cannot boast because it's God's riches at Christ's expense. But nor can we blame God if we don't get it. Because you and I have a responsibility to live our life for God. And if we live that life out of bounds and don't receive or accept the grace of God, then we're going to be held accountable. See, I have a life that I'm responsible for. But Christ has provided an escape from judgment. But the hard thing is for people to actually rely fully on Christ to do what I cannot do. And the question I leave you is this, will I cling to Christ for what I need? Will you cling to Christ for what you need? Well, as for me, where else can I go? Where else can I go? Because Jesus has the words of eternal life. Grace, it starts with God. It is delivered in Christ. And you and I go on in the power of the Spirit with a new heart driven by the Spirit. And that's how we continue. We always rely on Jesus to die for us. We rely on him to forgive our sins for our daily sins. And we rely on him to save us from the judgment of God that's coming. Will I remain in Christ's achievement for me? If you do, and if you do that for all your life, there is no condemnation for you. How wonderful is that? And there's only one type of response to have to that beautiful grace. To live your life in thankfulness. In thankfulness. So everything you do for Jesus is not to earn merit, but to just simply say, thank you, Jesus, for what you have done. Let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do pray that we would be able to live a life of thankfulness, that we would see all the things we have and all the benefits we have are not for ours, not for ourselves, but rather to be lived in glory, uh, lived to share your glory with others. And we do pray that you would use us and all our belongings and all our knowledge and all the things that we do 
in a way that would bring glory and honour to you, Lord Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.